Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, February 25th, we're studying Luke chapter 11, verses 37 to 54. While dining in the house of a Pharisee, Jesus does not wash before dinner. When the Pharisee is surprised, the Lord responds by speaking woe to the Pharisees and lawyers for their numerous hypocrisies. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Pastor Wolfmuller serves at St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas. Pastor Wolfmuller, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you. It's great. And to be here live, too. We are. We are live from Faith Lutheran High School in Central Texas. That's in Warda, Texas, the bustling metropolis. We have a live studio audience. If anyone's driving by, they should just stop in. That's right. Anyone driving by Warda, Texas. What's the address here, Pastor Beck? It's on the sign somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Very good. 1482 Farm Market Road. Please join us in Warda, Texas for Sharper Iron. And for the live studio audience, if you do have any questions, you are more than welcome to go to the microphone over here on my left, your right, and ask as we go. Pastor Wolfmuller is ready for the hard questions. That's right. I believe my, my sons have some particularly hard ones lined up for you. They were, they were reading the text ahead of time. So Nice. And if there are any questions from our audience on the air, you can send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. And Pastor Wolfmuller would be happy to take those as well. So, Pastor Wolfmuller, we're at the end of Luke 11 today. What do we need to know about the context as we prepare to look at this word of God? Yeah, we uh, maybe just to set it in its place in the ministry of Jesus. So we'll remember that Jesus' ministry has a number of phases, kind of early, middle, late. We're in the late ministry of Jesus, the what's called the Perean ministry of Jesus. So he's uh, he's left Galilee in the north. He's traveled down. He's kind of touched base in Jerusalem. And then he's gone down probably around the Jordan River, maybe Jericho, maybe on the other side, Bethany beyond the Jordan, or in that region where um, Elijah was taken up into heaven, where John was baptizing, I think, uh, down south, just north of the Dead Sea. And he's there uh, traveling around. And it's a lot of stuff here that's very unique to Luke also. So we're in a long section where Luke alone is giving us the records of the things that happened there. Um, He Jesus is in a time of rising opposition, and uh, this is going to be seen in the clarity at which he is preaching against Phariseeism and the traditionalism that's risen up around Jerusalem and Judea, and he in this text is just going to go right after it. And, And so there's no mincing words. They start at dinner, but I'm not sure they ever got to dinner. I think things probably broke up before any meal was served because Jesus is is so clear in his renunciation of the uh, of the pharisaical and rabbinical traditions that have 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 obscured the clarity of both law and gospel. 
Jesus is certainly speaking very clearly here. There's going to be a question from one of the lawyers. So he's going to say, hey, you're, you're offending us too. And, and he, just, he just goes harder at him, it yep. seems. That, that's really been Jesus' tone. And that tone seems to continue, especially since chapter 9, when yeah. he sets his face to go toward Jerusalem. Yeah, there's that, there's that particular verse uh, really key in the Gospel of Luke. He set his face toward Jerusalem. And that that set face, the kind of stone, the flint face of Jesus, looking to Jerusalem, looking to his own work of, of suffering and death and resurrection for the sake of the sins of the world, but knowing that, that's, that his work of redemption will be opposed uh, by the very people he came to redeem, but by the people he set in place to preach that redemption. The, the teachers of the law should be the ones, like John the Baptist, preparing the way. But not only are they not preparing the way, they're blocking the way of Jesus. And so he has to, he has to press his way through all of these obstacles that the Pharisees have set up, um, not only for Moses, but most especially for him, the coming Redeemer. And so he's like a bulldozer, kind of plowing through these barriers on his way to Jerusalem. And that bulldozing is going to really happen at this at this breakfast that we have in the text today. Are they at breakfast here? I think so. Well, okay. that's Alfred Edersheim says that he really is, as far as you can tell, this is probably a breakfast meal rather than a formal dinner. And it came after the morning prayers in the synagogue on a Sabbath. So. Okay. All right. Very good. You mentioned teachers of the law. We're going to encounter both a Pharisee and then lawyers, the way the ESV translates it. Who, who are these two groups? So probably the best way. So they are not, the same, although maybe they could. Be. So lawyers were in general those committed to the study of the Torah. So we, we normally think lawyer in a different term. The Greek word is nomicon. So that means that's just the, the person who is um, studying the law. That is the the, the words of Moses uh, and the Torah. So Bible scholars, basically, and the Pharisees were a certain group of lawyers, and they were those who had had kind of. T ramped it up and they they i think in our terms the best way to think of it would be they were the pietists basically they were those who had a higher level of um a higher standard for purity and cleanliness they they thought that they were the even more strict keepers of the law they were the true uh students of of moses so the some the scribes would sometimes make fun of the pharisees which is why you, you have to see when Jesus starts to go after the Pharisees, some of the scribes that are there might be like, yeah, that's what we like to do. We like to make fun of those guys, too. But it turns out that Jesus' critique of the Pharisees is, ends up being a critique of them also. And they're like, wait a minute, Jesus, you were swinging at the Pharisees and you also hit us. And Jesus turns around and he says, I know. You're right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, that's, I'm aiming for the whole for the whole deal because you have replaced the commandments of God with the traditions of men, and you're and by doing so, you're locking people not only out of the wisdom of the law, but also out of the comfort of the gospel, out of the kingdom of God altogether. Well, let's go ahead and take a look at this text. We're in Luke 11 today, starting with verse 37. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked to dine asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? 
but give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you, lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. That is our text for today. That's Luke 11, verses 37 to 54. Isn't it amazing? They're trying to catch him in something he might say when he had just said all of these <laughs> blasting away woes to them. It's amazing. <laughs> so let's talk about the setting of this. Jesus sure. was still speaking. A Pharisee wants Jesus to eat with him. You mentioned yeah. perhaps it's breakfast. The setting of, of sharing a meal together, what's the significance of this? It is. So th there's this opposition growing. So you, you would think that if Jesus was in Galilee or in Jerusalem, he probably would not be invited to a meal. But here down where he is um, in Perea, the sort of the anti-Jesus sentiment had not risen so highly among the Pharisees there, at least not yet to overcome sort of the common courtesy of inviting a teacher to share a meal, which is just part of it. And so the, the way it would work is you would come to the meal, especially any meal had this characteristic. You would come to the meal, you'd either sit down for breakfast or you'd lie down for dinner, kind of lounging, and uh, you would bring in a bowl of water and everyone would wash their hands. The and all the so the scribes and all the Jews would wash their hands up. They'd pour water over their hands up. The Pharisees said you had to pour the water over up and then down. So you had two washings for the Pharisees. That's one of these kind of Pharisee things, right? right? And they said, "What? Well, because because when you wash your hands like this, your hands are clean." That's what most people said. But the Pharisee said, "But the water on your hand is now unclean. So you have to wash the unclean water off of your hands like this. Has to go to your wrist." They had all these rules about it. Uh, there was, and they were always fighting about it. Like what, what led to unclean hands or clean hands? Wow. And this was a big deal. So they would come to the meal, and they would, and and um, and for centuries they had been actually fighting about what constituted the washing of the hands. And they had the formal term, which meant the washing that went to the water had to cover your wrists and all this sort of stuff. And this is the, this is like what the Pharisee mind is interested in, is is what constitutes this washing. And so Jesus, and and so they're watch, they're washing each other. They're like to make sure that the water goes to the wrist. And Jesus is sitting at the table, and they bring the water, and he says, "No, thank you." 
I mean, it would have been very obvious. Right. So, so the, the three things that, that would kind of are the mark of Phariseeism are number one, that they didn't use anything that hadn't been tithed. So they wouldn't eat of any food that hadn't been tithed. They wouldn't drink of any wine that hadn't been tithed. That if it wasn't tithed to the Lord, then they couldn't use it. It wasn't considered useful. The second thing is they were, they were participated in all the rites of, uh, purification, especially this hand washing and the washing of all these sorts of things. So they wouldn't use anything, wouldn't tithe. They wouldn't, they, they were interested only in this purification and they would only really have fellowship with people who also observed the first two things. So that's what sets the Pharisees apart. And Jesus goes, he goes right after those things. I mean, he is intentional here. He's setting up the fight by not washing his hands. And it wasn't just like they were grossed out by it. Like, look, Jesus is eating with dirty hands. He was, he was refusing to participate in, in Phariseeism. He, he was just rejecting it outright. And, and so their offense is understandable. He refused to wash his hands. And uh, and the Pharisees were astonished, mm-hmm. like uh, like th- this was a, this is something they can't even believe, right? And 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 so they come with this astonishment to Jesus, at, at, almost as if to to kind of coerce him into doing it. But the opposite happens, That's right? And he just he he lays right into him on on this whole nonsense of, of hand washing and being so concerned with the outward purity of a thing that they give no thought to the purity of the heart. So uh, what do they, what do they think they're gaining by these? You mentioned the eating and drinking things that have been tithed, the purity, and then having fellowship with only people who have done the, those first two, what do they think they're gaining by that outward purity? Well, so I was, I was looking at Edersheim a little bit on this, you know, Alfred Edersheim, life and times of Jesus Messiah. It's this beautiful book. I think everyone should have it on their shelf. And it, he digs into the Jewish background on this. And when he's talking about this, he, he, it's an, it's kind of an amazing thing to see what he does. He's like, I'm really sorry. I have to admit these things, but here's what the rabbis thought. They thought that God in heaven washed his hands Hmm. before he woke up to study the scripture. In fact, they didn't think God slept. They thought that God studied the Bible all day. And then the Mishnah all night, the commentary all night. And that, so they basically imagined uh, God, the Father, as this great heavenly rabbi, and that they were trying to cleanse themselves and purify themselves by their outward works in the same way so that they could have the nicest seats once they got to heaven. And so they really thought that their purity was what God had required. And, and probably the hand washing goes back to the to the washings that the priests would do before they would offer the sacrifices. And they just expounded that and expanded it. And here was the point. The, the Pharisees thought that, that by their outward acts, they could be holy. They could be pure and able to stand before God. And, and we normally look at it. So here's the application, I think, for us. that we, we, they, we normally look at the Pharisees as these like very strict legalistic kind of teachers but really, they weren't. So the, here, the best picture I can think of is when I was a kid and um, my parents got us a basketball hoop. Did I tell you this story? No, you haven't. So it was an adjustable basketball hoop. And so you could move it up and down. So we set it all up. And then I went and moved it uh, down low enough to where I could slam the basketball. But just barely. 
and I've got two younger brothers, right? So I adjusted it just perfect to where only I could possibly slam it, and there's no way they could do it. And then I went inside and said, let's have a slam dunk contest. <laughs> so only I, could, I, only I could meet the requirements. That's what the Pharisees have done. They've lowered the standard of God's law, but they've lowered it enough to where they only can keep it. And, and they can manage to keep all these laws, but nobody else p- could possibly do it unless you're spending your whole life keeping these laws. So that they can be the holy ones and, and they can despise everybody else. Right. That's Pharisee style. And, and, that's, and Jesus just won't. He, he refuses to play along. So the Pharisees are basically trying to make the law keepable. They, they lower the basket so that I can do it. You may not be able to, but I can. You should be able to. Right. When in reality, the basket is much too high for any of them yeah. to dunk. Moses, the Lord in the Ten Commandments, puts the basket on the moon. Oh, wow. You know, nobody's going to – I mean – the, by the law is the knowledge of sin. Yeah. And that's the point of it. I mean, that's what Paul says. The point of the law is to show us our sinfulness. That wasn't originally the point of the law, but after the fall with Adam and Eve, that's because we have to know that, that, we, are, that we are sinners and guilty. And that's the thing that the Pharisees refused to admit. Uh, so Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, <laughs> so imagine being a Pharisee and listen to this. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And the Pharisees would say, that's right. Wait a minute. <laughs> because he's saying their standard is, this, is so high, but you, you have to be even more than that. And, and they would say, well, who could keep the law better than we can? And this, and this is the point. No one. Christ alone keeps the law. But, but when he refuses to do something like wash his hands, he's saying, this is not the law. Right. This is not from Moses. This is from, from you. And this obscures Moses and, and not only obscures, the again, the law of Moses, but also the gospel that's preached in the Old Testament. So with, with Jesus then coming and speaking all of these woes, I think you told me there are six of them yep. total here. It's a pretty, pretty difficult text to read. Uh, you know, this is one you read it in church. You say, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You kind of like, wait, this is, this is a hard word. Right. I, I think the fact that Jesus is eating with them and the fact that he's willing to speak to them shows his love for these Pharisees. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's something I think we, you know, the Pharisees are the bad guy. We hear Jesus speak these hard words, but he's doing so because he loves them. Right. So the law always has the preaching of the law. Let's say it this way. The preaching of the law always has as its first purpose repentance. And repentance also for these Pharisees. And we know that there was there were Pharisees who repented. Even before the death of Jesus, we had um, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. After the resurrection of Jesus, we have St. Paul, Pharisee, who repented. And a number of Pharisees in the book of Acts were repenting. So Jesus is after these guys too. But the, the pro- And this is the problem, is that... Because they thought that they were pure, because they washed their hands, because they only ate food that had been tithed, then they didn't need a savior. Yeah. They were their own savior. And that is where Jesus is the um, fiercest. That's where he swings the hammer the hardest, yeah. is, is, is at the base of the idol of self. And he is, he is after that idol to destroy it. So, so the Pharisees have propped up themselves as if they didn't need a savior. And Jesus knows that that is the way to destruction. And so he is going to destroy that way to destruction, yeah, destroy right. their idols by speaking very harshly. So let's look at some of the ways Jesus swings the hammer. He, he first talks about the cleansing the outside of dishes. 
inside being full of, of greed and wickedness. And then he calls them fools and says, hey, God made both outside and inside. What What's Jesus' first point here? Yeah, and, and we'll notice, by the way, that this is what's called, this is the first of G- Jesus' anti-pharisaical discourses. Wow, I like that name for it, but... He, um, it's almost like Jesus is warming up for Holy Tuesday. Okay. And right. if you go to Matthew 23, he's expanded these woes. And you have a whole chapter of woes to the Pharisees. But this is Jesus kind of his warm up woes here. But you'll remember in Matthew 23, he says, You're whitewashed sepulchers. So outside, you look beautiful, like a beautiful grave. But on the inside, you're just full of rotting bones and bodies. So here with a cup. So can you imagine a cup that uh, is full of, it's just had been sitting there and unwashed and it's full of mold and nastiness. And you, and you say to the kids, wash this cup. And they scrub the outside so it's really clean and give it back to you and say it's clean. That's the Pharisees is that they on the outside, they look so clean but on the inside it's just rot and filth and uh and they're so concerned with the with the external that they have no thought whatsoever of the conscience how do i have a clean conscience and and the reason is because it's hard, it's easy to be uh what it's it's easy to be uh outwardly to to appear righteous but to cleanse the heart that is something that only the word of god can do and so, and, and they had, they had no capacity and no sense for it. They even had no sense that they were unclean and needed cleansing. They were so uh, concerned with the outs, uh, external things. So Jesus says, "Look, the same God who made the outside made the inside, and we should be concerned with the inside." Jesus always said they they thought that what defiled you was what came in. Like if you ate unclean food, or you touched unclean things. Jesus says, "What defiles you is what comes out of the heart." And so uh, to be concerned with the heart and the purity of the heart and the purity of the conscience, that's Jesus. Um, that's his chief concern. That's how he's redirecting their attention. Well, you said redirecting. Is It, it sounds like Jesus, it's not that they're wrong to clean the outside, that there is something to this outside cleanliness, the, the outward works, but that apart from any inward holiness, the cleansing that only the word of God can give, the outward is worthless apart from that. It's interesting how the intensity with which Jesus goes for this problem increases the closer he gets to the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. So, so early on when Jesus is criticizing all these traditions, he's saying, look, the traditions are fine. The problem is you, you have no attention to the, to the true keeping of the law. You're it's fine to keep it outwardly. It's the inward thing that matters. But but Jesus is getting actually harsher about that. Mm-hmm. So that maybe it's okay to clean to wash your hands, but but here Jesus refuses to wash his hands as a matter of confession. Right. So it's it would I think similar to our Lutheran approach to Adiaphora. Right. Is that if there's things that are indifferent, then you can it doesn't matter one way or the other. But if it becomes a matter of confession, then you can't do it. Right. I might be free to wash my hands before I eat, but if someone makes that a matter of salvation, then I never wash my hands again, right? Uh, so hopefully none of you have made that a matter of salvation, and <laughs> we can right. all wash our. I'd hands. like to wash my hands yeah. still, <laughs> but but the but this is the point that if that 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 they have so obscured the gospel with this tradition with this traditionalism that now the things that don't matter have to be 
they now all of a sudden matter. They, they, so that Jesus will refuse to do it. Uh, and, and, but, and he goes on to say, the things that are within, give alms yeah. of those things that are within, and everything is clean for you. In other words, if your heart is clean, Paul, well, Paul says it like this in Titus. Yeah. Titus chapter 1, he says, to the pure, everything is pure. And to the, un, to the, to the unclean, everything is unclean. And so if the heart is pure, then everything is pure. Jesus is, is saying that here about, and Mark makes this point for us, about food. There's now no unclean food. There's now no unclean activity. That if your heart is cleansed of sin, then, um, then you are free from defilement. But if your heart is not cleansed from sin, then it doesn't matter what you do, no matter how holy it is, it's unholy. And we have that confidence. How do we think of it like this? Is that even though, even though, so we're Christians and we're baptized and God has given us a good conscience. And even though we don't do all the things that we ought to do, or even though we try to do something good, but it's always stained with our own sinful intentions and our own sinful desires and our own sinful thoughts, the Holy Spirit comes and he even, he forgives even the bad parts of our good works so that, so that the Lord is able to receive our good works as pure. But for the unbeliever who has an unclean heart, they could go and love and serve their neighbor, and it's it's just filth to the Lord because it doesn't come from a because they don't have a pure heart. So when the when the heart is pure, to to the pure, all all things are pure, and and this is what Jesus wants for the Pharisees and for us, for his disciples, for everyone there, but they they refuse to see it. No, yeah. what matters is. Did you wash your hands the right, right. way? Only, only the outward. And as long as all that's, that's their only concern, then all they get is this woe from Jesus. But he is calling them to that inward holiness, which comes through the word of God alone. The word of God that he is speaking here, we're going to pick up more on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking Luke chapter 11 with Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, February 25th. We're studying Luke chapter 11, verses 37 to 54 with Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas. And again, we are live this morning from Faith Lutheran High School in Central Texas in Warda, Texas, driving down Highway 77 between Giddings and LaGrange. Stop on by. And again, to our live studio audience, please feel free to ask any questions of Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. And uh, on this text, and if, you got, if you're listening on air, kfuo at kfuo.org is the email address to use. Pastor Wolfmuller, we left off in verse 42. Woe to you, Pharisees. Here we get to the matter of tithing. Rue, mint, every herb, justice, and the love of God. What, what is rue? I don't even know what that is. I don't know either. Okay, I'm glad. I, that makes me feel better. I should have looked it up. It's somewhere, it's, it's somewhere between mint and every 
other herb herb there that's herb. A, uh, every herb herb i know a couple <laughs> of herbs uh, mint rue and every herb uh, i so they, they all their food this is how it was okay. they would they would offer up their food um to you know they would give it away to the temple or that value of the temple and they would not they wouldn't eat anything that hadn't been tithed mm. So all you know, this, this has to do with the first fruits back from the Moses days, where you would harvest and you'd take a tenth of the harvest and you'd give it away. Sometimes you'd burn it or you'd offer it. You'd spill wine on the ground. You'd offer this up. And it's one of the marks of the Pharisees that if the food hadn't been tithed, then it was then we couldn't participate in it. And so Jesus here, he goes straight for these two these two marks of yeah. the Pharisees, right? Yeah. The, here's here's what you think makes you a Pharisee. This is what their lives were about, and Jesus goes straight at them and pronounces these woes to them. So you tie the, the, uh, he, in in Matthew twenty three. Jesus will talk about this too. So you give money to the temple, you say it belongs to the Lord, and then you you don't take care of your parents, right? Right. So they, they are more, it's one of the marks, this is, a, it's, a, it's a monasticism, really. And we, we see it in, even in evangelicalism today. Is it, like, what makes something holy? Is it has to do with, this is the error, it has to do with the church and not with the family or with earthly life. So if I want to serve the Lord, I got to go to church to serve the Lord. And if I'm at home, I'm doing secular stuff or pagan stuff or whatever. And so the Pharisees had that idea that uh, I've got a, I can only, I can only eat the food that's been connected to the to the temple. I've, I can only serve if it's connected to the temple. That's the only thing that's holy. And so the whole life of the family and everything else is is totally neglected. What does it say here? Jesus says you neglect justice and the love of God. So you're so that's the second table of the law and the first table of the law for their tradition. So it's they become so distracted by these kind of minutia layers on top of the law that they've even forgotten about the 10 commandments and the and and not, and not just the 10 commandments. Here Jesus is talking about the 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 um, the 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 first principles which underline the Ten Commandments. So, uh, so Jesus is asked later. This is on Holy Tuesday. In the temple, they say, "What's the greatest commandment?" And he says, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself." In fact, he was asked that question probably four times in his ministry. And Jesus is point here's This is the foundation of the whole deal. So not only have you neglected the commandments, you've missed the whole point. Wow. You've missed the whole point. Yeah. And um and so he 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 and and the result is a woe, right? Woe. <laughs> That's right. You uh if you if you miss these fundamental principles, justice and the love of God, then there's nothing nothing good is going to come after that. I mean, if you miss the if if you can't get the elementary points, yeah. everything you build on top of it is gonna is gonna collapse. And so th there is a woeful state to the to the mind and to the lives of the Pharisees because they they think they're all about God's righteousness, but they've but they're just they're not. Yeah. 
Uh, they've missed the they missed the foundation. They're building on the wrong foundation. Right. So the the woes continue to the Pharisees. You love the best seat in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces. He also calls them unmarked graves that people walk over without knowing. <laughs> yeah. So so that second woe. You love the best seat in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces. Maybe they just came from the synagogue. Right. Right. And they're all, and 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 they're always trying to fight who gets to sit where. That's the that's Pharisee style too. Who gets to sit at what seat? And so they go. A Pharisee walks into the room and says, "Where's the best seat? That's where I I deserve to sit there at the best seat." And and and, and this is how they think of heaven. You know, they're trying to. So when they get to heaven, there's going to be you know who gets to sit there on the right hand and the left hand of God in the in the feast. Who gets to? Who's the most important? Uh, they, they, so Jesus says, you know, you should take the lowest seat. Right. We even see like the m- mom of James and John ask, you, you know, right. hey, yeah. can can my son sit here at these really good seats? And so the, the so where you sit because it's about this honor. Yeah. Where you, are you going to be honored? Amazing that Jesus comes and he has for his seat, his high seat, a cross, <laughs> and and on his right and on his left, two thieves. And this is the, about the lowest seat you could find. Jesus finds it. But here he's, he's criticizing the Pharisees. And they also like the greetings in the marketplaces. This is why they would go and they would, uh, when it was time to pray, they'd go to the busiest corner and pray there so that everyone could see how holy they are. And, uh, and everyone could, could laud and magnify and praise them and jesus says in the sermon on the mount well you have your reward if everyone's congratulating you how holy you are you have your reward already so 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 their pride and their showiness and their desire for their 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 concern for their own place in fact you know jesus would see this all the time they'd go to the synagogue and be fighting for the best spot then they came to dinner and they're fighting for the best spot then they're going out. They're fighting for the best, and Jesus just is just shaking his head. So we have an audience question from one of our younger members. Go ahead. Who are Pharisees today? Oh, good question. So we let's say that. Well, let's say that Phariseeism is a is a is a way of thinking. If we say it like that. And so someone would be be a Pharisee today if their way of thinking is that by their own actions, they can be pure and holy and acceptable to God. So we call it now works righteousness. Anyone who thinks that they are able to keep the law in such a way that they can, by by their own effort, be pleasing to God, that's Phariseeism. And all of us really have a little Pharisee living in our hearts. Yeah. Uh, the, the, our, our, our little mini-me is a Pharisee. And, and every, every human religion uh, is in, in one way or another a different version of Phariseeism, that I can be good enough to make myself pleasing to God. 
It's a great yeah. question. Sure. And I mean, when you look at the woes that Jesus speaks to the Pharisees, how, how often do I want to look good in front of other people? I mean, I'm very concerned with my own outward appearance, what others see about me, whether here or on Facebook or wherever it may be. I want, I like the best seat, you know, here I am sitting in front of all these people. That's kind of nice having them all look at us. Don't you think? I don't know. I, I like doing this in the privacy of my office, but it but is less intimidating. It is a little less intimidating, but yeah, I mean, we, we all have this Pharisee in us wanting to caring about the outside, neglecting what's on the inside. That that's something that's in all of us, no doubt, no doubt. What about this unmarked grave? Yeah, that it's Jesus great. It's a, the picture here is so one of the ways to become unclean in the Old Testament is by touching a grave, right? And so you would always avoid walking on graves because otherwise you would be unclean. But the Pharisees are are like unmarked graves, so you would walk over the grave and you'd become unclean and you wouldn't even know it. And so the Pharisees are not only are they not clean. Their, the Phariseeism makes a person unclean, but you don't, this is part of the dangers. You yeah. don't know it. That's why like the tax collectors and the sinners are closer to the kingdom of God than the Pharisees, because at least they know that they're sinners. Right. The Pharisees have this double delusion. They're sinners, but they don't recognize it. It's, 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 uh, despair is closer to repentance than pride. And so they're, uh, they're making people unclean, but they think that they're making people clean. Right. Uh, and that's the unmarked grave thing. And that's really, that's really something. That's yeah, that's, that's pretty. I mean, you had mentioned how Jesus amps these up on Holy Tuesday. That's that unmarked grave recalls what he says about the whitewashed tombs that comes there. So Jesus has, as you said earlier, he's, he's taken the swing at the Pharisees. He's hit his mark. Some of the lawyers are there listening, yep. and then they say, "Hey, what about us? We're, don't you know you're you're insulting us too?" That's right. And Jesus just doubles down. Yeah, that's it's it's really. If you're just watching this, I mean, if you were a, a lawyer, you would not be smiling about what Jesus does here. <laughs> uh, and I, I think even if you're a disciple, hmm. you're you're going to say, "Whoa, this is getting uncomfortable." <laughs> but if we're just watching it now, it is a little bit a little bit humorous. So one of the lawyers says, teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. Like, I'm sure you didn't mean to insult us. So maybe do you want to retract right. what you said to just make sure you insult them and not us? That's right. It's like when you're preaching a sermon and someone says, that's a great sermon, Pastor, until you hit what, what <laughs> they're sinning. Yeah, right? that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think you meant to insult them and not me. You just might have made a mistake there. <laughs> And so Jesus, his response is, woe to you too, lawyers. <laughs> just in case he was yeah, unclear. Just, you, you, yeah, I did not. I, that was not an accident. Woe to you too, lawyers. Also, you load yourselves with burdens hard to bear. Ha! And so Jesus says, no, I, I, I hit my mark. I hit my mark. So we got another audience question, Pastor Wilson, a slightly older member of the audience today. Mr. Keck, please. You may have already touched on this, but um, applying it to our own lives, how would we respond to those um, what you've been talking about Pharisees uh, today. Um, what are some words of wisdom that you may have in, in communicating God's love and gently showing them their, their sin that they believe they don't have? Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Keck. Pastor? I, I think that, um, what, so one of the unique, one of the unique points of Lutheran theology, which is missed even in most Christian uh, articulations of, of doctrine 
is that there's a danger to our good works. Now, this is all that doesn't mean we shouldn't do good works. We should do good works. We should get after it. But we should also recognize that there's a danger in our good works. And the danger is that we would trust in them or that we would boast in them or that we would be uh, proud of them, that we would think that, that that is what gets us to heaven or makes us pleasing to God or whatever. That is a lie, and it's a damnable lie. It's a, and it's a weird thing that we, we are tempted to trust in our good works more than we're tempted to trust in anything else. Yeah. Like I've never heard anybody – I went one time, I was just doing some man-on-the-street interviews, and I asked people if they thought they were going to heaven. Everyone thinks they're going to heaven. Even if they don't believe in heaven, they think they're going to go there. And you ask them, how, well, how are you going to get there? And they say, well, I'm a, you know, I'm a pretty good person. And nobody ever says, well, because I've got a, a big red beard – like Pastor back here, or no one ever says that. It's because I'm seven foot three. Close, know, like yeah, not, not quite, but close. Or no, I mean, no, like it's funny the things, the thing. What do we trust in to get yeah. us to heaven? Like, why, why would we think it's our good works that get us to heaven rather than anything else? And this is a, it's our, it's how we're programmed. It's because every every human being is a religious being, and we're programmed to think. Well, the old theologians called it the opinio legis. That if God is mad at me because of my sin, then he must be happy with me because of my good works. And so that Phariseeism is, is like our default operating system. It's like, the, it's, like the, it's like the things that are loaded on your phone when you get it from the store. It's just there. It's part of our conscience. It's in the heart. And so it has to be purged out. And that's how to, this, the danger of good works. So, so that's why Paul says these things that are so offensive to the flesh. He says, uh, like, um, to the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the godless. His faith is accounted to him as righteousness. It's why we have to insist so clearly, not only on grace alone, but on faith alone, that it's completely apart from our merits or deserving. Because anything less is an insult to God. We were talking about this the other day on, um, in a Bible study, and uh, we were talking about simony, which is the act of buying ecclesiastical stuff. And there was a big, his, Luther was talking about this with the Roman Catholic Church and everything. And he says they recognize simony, like if someone buys a bishopric or something like that. Right. But he says there's a deeper simony, which is that we buy God's favor by our works. And we came up with this picture. If you're walking down the street with your family and someone sees your family and say, wow, what a beautiful family you have. Your children are so, they look so healthy and happy and obedient and strong, and I saw them laughing and playing. What a, your children are just fantastic. You think, wow, they, they really are impressed with the family. That's kind of nice. Say, so I, 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 just, I love your kids. They're so, they're so wonderful. How much would you take for them? Like a million bucks? Was that? Yikes. And no. he thinks he's offering a great price, right? right? Like your family must be of great value, 10 million. But the very fact that you put a price on something is an insult. Yeah. And this is what, when we think, I'm going to earn my salvation, I'm going to deserve my salvation, now I'm putting a price on that which God, which has no price. It can have no price. The life and death, the suffering, the blood of Jesus, there is no price on that. And it's no matter how high I set the price, it's an insult to God. And that unbelief really is the thing that damns. So when I think Pharisee style, that I can save myself, I'm saying that I want to purchase the death of Jesus, wow. which is not for sale. And that is such a profound insult to God that that's really what, that's really why everyone who is condemned to hell is condemned to hell. Mm. 
attempting to purchase what God, what, what has no value, what, what, which is beyond value and which only God can give freely. Yeah, in Galatians 2, Paul says, if, if I can, I'm paraphrasing, if I can save myself, then Christ died for nothing. That's which it. is, a, I mean, just a striking thing to think that Christ would have died for nothing if I can do it. That's the, the insult that you're talking about. So when it, when it comes to speaking to those, I mean, this, as you said, is, is all of us at some point when we're wrapped up in this Phariseeism, we, we certainly want to speak as gently as we can. But these are going to be hard words regardless, because they are going to, to get to the very quick of the of the matter and to the I mean, salvation, damnation is what we're talking about here. And it's no wonder Jesus speaks so harshly to the Pharisees and lawyers. Great questions, everyone. Thank you. Those are asking questions. I do have T-shirts here for, for those who are asking these great questions. So if anybody else is, is interested, Pastor I'm Wolf, do you, have a, do you have a question? Yeah, so, so you can, can get, get a T-shirt. t-shirt. That's fantastic. All right. Well, very good. Well, as you think, let's talk a little bit about these woes to the lawyers. Jesus talks first about loading people with burdens, but you don't touch the burdens yourselves. Is this related to, you were talking earlier about how the Pharisees, and I know these are lawyers, but they, they lower the bar to a place where they can keep them, but then there's no help for anyone else. Right, right, that's right. So, and there's no mercy. They're just intensifying things, intensifying things, because they have a, they have a twofold interest. The, the, the interest is um, being righteous themselves, but then making sure nobody else can be righteous. So they are, uh, they want to, dis- they're, they're trying to, dr- they're trying to separate themselves from everyone else. The Gentiles, for sure. The Samaritans, the sinners, everybody else is over there. And I, and not only am I not helping them on the way of righteousness and coming into the kingdom, but I'm making it worse for them. I'm, I, I'm, I'm trying to push them away. And that's not what they're called to do. So, so the, the the Lord set His people as a as priests among the nations, so that they were supposed to bless everyone around them. Yeah, uh, this is right from the beginning. When when the Lord calls Abraham, which is be the beginning of the Lord's people, Abraham, He says, "Your seed will be a blessing to the nations." So the so as soon as Abraham is identified as unique. His uniqueness is to bless everyone, but that and that's a theme that runs all the way through the scriptures. Um, all nations will come to the holy hill. That's how Isaiah starts. Is this great call to the? There's all these texts that talk about how the nations will be blessed by the work that the Lord does on in Zion, and yet they've they've just done the opposite. Right. They're 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 excluding people. Oh, and, and they sort of gloat in that, right? You, you're not of us. Right. And then, as, so as they exclude the people themselves, then on top of that, they kill the people who are preaching the truth. Yeah. The pro- I mean, that's, that's, it just keeps escalating. Yeah. You've pushed these people out. The people I sent to tell them the truth, you're killing them and building their tombs like you're the great, so great. Yeah, that's right. Th- this is um, when Jesus ends the, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are you. When you are despised and persecuted and treated shamefully for my name, for so they did of the prophets who were before you. And one of the marks, it turns out, of a prophet is that they end up being killed by the Lord's people. Mm-hmm. And he even lists, is that here? Yes. In this woe, he, he, he lists the first person killed in the Bible, Abel. And the last person killed in the Bible, the prophet Zechariah, that would be Second Chronicles chapter twenty-four, and so and the Hebrew Bible ended with Second Chronicles. So 
it's it, you know you look on the on the murder of page one and the murder of the, the first page and the murder on the last page and all the murders all the way in between are all these righteous uh, prophets sent to you and you killed them but then you build their graves right what as if to honor them yeah. as if to honor them so you are their you are their murderers and and yet you have this sham honoring of the prophets but you missed the whole point of the preaching of the prophets and now their guilt is on you. Which is a which is a stunning indictment. Jesus is saying that uh, the, all the righteous blood shed on the earth is shed by you Pharisees. Uh, this now this will push us a little bit, right? But it's 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 really quite something. So uh, let me give a Luther example. When when Luther uh, is is commenting on Galatians, he says that the history of the world is the history of the fight between those who believe in justification by faith and those who are trying to justify themselves. That's the whole history of the world. And the history of the world is that those who are justified by faith have the word of God. Those who are justifying themselves do not. And they persecute those who are justified by faith to the point of killing them. So it was with Cain and Abel, remember? Cain had the uh, sacrifice of his own efforts, the sacrifice of the, of the ground. His, the, he, after all, was the oldest. He was following after his father, Adam, who was the gardener. He was the one who was established in a city. He didn't have to wander around in the wilderness like Abel, who was out there with the sheep. And so he's offering the offering of his own works, whereas Abel is offering the the blood sacrifice according to the word of God from the garden when he clothed Adam and Eve. And, and now not only is Abel's offering not accepted because Phariseeism is woe, but now he becomes jealous and he goes and murders his brother. So Hagar and Ishmael, uh, uh, Joseph and his brothers, uh, the, the Pharaoh and the children of Israel, Herod and the children of Bethlehem, uh, all the way through the, the people of Israel and all the prophets, it's it's the righteous, it's the strength of the of the self righteous, uh, assaulting the weakness of the justified by faith, and so the, and and Jesus is saying you are participating in this, and 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 so and so this is really for us it's this kind of clarity: are we going to be on the side of the self righteous? or on the justified by faith. And if we're on the side of self-righteousness, not only do we bear our own guilt, but we bear the guilt of all the self-righteous who have murdered all the righteous before us, uh, which is which is frightening. It's very frightening. Yeah, I suppose this really comes to a climax then on Good Friday when the, the crowds there before Pontius Pilate say of Jesus, let his blood be on us and on our children. I mean, that's kind of where all of this is is finally leading. Yeah. Of course, the irony of that is that Jesus did come to shed his blood to cover our sins yeah. in for our righteousness rather than for our condemnation. That's right. And his blood is crying out, like, like it says in Hebrews, and we sing it in the hymn, his, his blood cries for better things than the blood of Abel. Yeah. So Abel's blood cries out for vengeance, but the blood of Jesus cries out for mercy. So we pray with, you know, with a different spirit, but the same words, let his blood be on us because his blood is what is what makes us righteous. 
Yeah. Let's, let's wrap this text up with that conclusion that Luke provides. The, the scribes, the Pharisees begin to press him hard and to provoke him, lying in wait for him to catch him in, in something that he might say. How's, I mean, how does this propel Jesus on this journey he's making toward Jerusalem? Well, that they are always trying to catch Jesus on his words because they're, pre- they're, they're they are preparing for, uh, for a trial, right? right. And, and they want to convict Jesus. They want to convict him of being guilty of the laws of God. And also they want to convict Jesus of being guilty of the laws of the state so that they can, well, so that he can be killed, right? So that they, so that they can, um, uh, so they can bring him before Pilate and they can have him put to death. So they're trying to build the case. So the, the, and they were experts at this. Sure. Like that's what the rabbis lived for is trying to catch each other. So they would sit around and they'd try to, they'd ask these questions that you couldn't answer. And so they had all of these ready to go. And then when Jesus shows up, they ask them all to Jesus and he answers them all. And we, we see an example of this again. On, we talked about Holy Tuesday. This, this is sort of a, a foretaste of what's coming on Holy Tuesday. And, they, and Jesus is in the temple and they say, uh, should we pay taxes? That's a, a that's a damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of question, right? Because if you say, yeah, pay taxes, then um, then you're no true Pharisee. And if you say, don't pay taxes, then you're a rebel against the state. Yeah. And Jesus answers that so beautifully. And then they and then the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection, they had their great trick question: the 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 woman who was married to a man and he died and married her, his brother and he died and his brother and he died. Seven brothers all died. You got to wonder about the seventh brother at the wedding, like. <laughs> I don't know if this is a good idea or not, but whose whose wife will she be in the resurrection? And Jesus again answers that with a with a single answer. And then they come the, the best they can do is what's the greatest commandment? Yeah. And because the Pharisees couldn't pick favorites, and Jesus answers that beautifully. So they were always trying to catch him. And they couldn't, even at his trial, they brought all these false accusations against Jesus, and none of them stuck. So that Jesus, in the end, has to give them his own words so that they can try him. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Pastor Brian Wolfmuller is pastor at St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas, helping us today with Luke 11, verses 37 to 54. Pastor Wolfmuller, thanks for being our guest today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much. I am your host here on Sharp Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithfield, Texas. If you have any questions about the Gospel of Luke, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us in live, in the studio, or on the air. Talk to you again next week.